Welcome back to Block Channel. Uh, glad to have you back on for our seventh episode. And seven actually happens to be my lucky nor- number. I was born on the seventh, so I'm a very big fan. It's not just your normal, typical favorite number. Uh, but also, it's, it's, it's great because we have some pretty awesome guests today. Uh, and, and join with me, as usual, um, are D and Corey. Corey, D, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yep. I'm D. I'm host number two of the Bitcoin podcast. I'm the resident Bitcoin maximalist for the day. That's right. <laughs> and I'm Dr. Petty, host number three of the Bitcoin podcast. And of course, we're joined today uh, with Andy and Kenny uh, from Maker. Uh, Andy, Kenny, uh, I'm not sure which one he wants to go first, but feel free just sort of take it away. Uh, just give us just a brief introduction on yourselves so the audience have, has an understanding of where you guys come from. All right. Um, my name is Andy Millenius. Mm-hmm. I live in Seattle, Washington, and I work for a um, consultancy that works with a decentralized technology called DAPUB. We mostly focus on uh, Ethereum and smart contracts, and I am a lead developer with uh, Maker. I've been with the project for about a year and a half now. Awesome. And Kenny? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Kenny Rowe. I'm an e-commerce professional by day and a crypto um, enthusiast by night. And so uh, I work on Maker primarily in terms of governance uh, and community building and um, a few other things here and there. Um, I got into crypto back in 2013 when uh, Bitcoin hit you know, that first $1,000 mark. And I've been kind of in the space ever since. And I've, specifically, I've been with Maker about a year and a half as well. So it's about... About the entire length of the project, just just about after, um, maybe a few months after it kind of launched. That's me. And, and, and what about yourself, Andy? When did, when did you get into the crypto space? Was it recent? Um, so I poked around with Bitcoin back in like 2014 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the first crypto I ever bought was uh, Dogecoin as a mm. joke for somebody. Mm. Um, a classic and then sort of um kind of looked away for a while had to you know like focus on other things in my life and then um basically right when i got attached to maker is right when i found out about ethereum last fall um and i was just immediately or not last fall two falls ago um and i was just immediately enchanted and from the moment i found out about it i just uh started to like you know focus all of my time onto it and one of the ways uh, I did that was by volunteering my time with Maker. So you can say awesome. I got serious in the fall of 2014. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So as far as sort of like what you're doing at Maker now, like do you, uh, do one of you guys just want to like take the lead and give us an explanation? Uh, I guess at first at, at a high level at what Maker was trying to do or what problem Maker is trying to solve. And then we'll sort of go from there and we'll sort of poke and prod and have questions along the way. Awesome, yeah. 
So Maker is a um, it's a decentralized autonomous organization on the Ethereum blockchain. What that means is it's uh, completely the the community and the group of people who are associated with the project are completely mediated by uh, by smart contracts. Um, we seek to create a product called Dai. It's spelled D-A-I. It is a stable coin. It's meant to be a stable coin, which means it's a cryptocurrency that it ha- maintains price stability over short and medium term increments, time increments. So it basically has all of the cool things of a cryptocurrency, like uh, instant transfer and cross-border payments and security and digital sovereignty and all that cool stuff with the added benefit that you don't see in crypto today, which is price stability. So it's trying to make itself um, like a more useful form of money. Excellent. Excellent. And so what um, what sort of, I guess, innovations or what what's what sort of what sort of cool things have come out of the development thus far oh my gosh where to even start that that oh boy um so what sort of cool innovations have come out of the development thus far so i think that the first ones that were cool was um a lot of like uh development tools um when we first got when uh the lead developer nikolai first got started with this project he's he sort of was um, his progress was really quickly slowed down by the lack of um, development tools in the space to do sort of uh, a project as complex as Maker um, properly. So we've contributed like a ton of open source code to um, to the Ethereum development spa- space, including like a build tool and um, a smart contracts framework. It's a, a essentially like a smart contracts building blocks. So that's pretty cool. And then from there, one of the first things that we released with them was um, a decentralized market that uh, Maker operates today. It's called Maker Market. Uh, you can go to the, you can check it out if you want. It's mkr.market is the URL. And it's um, basically a place where you can trade Ethereum-based tokens completely trustlessly. There's no like... Um, centralized uh party who holds your tokens or anything like that there's no uh there's no risk of anybody like there's no counterparty risk basically uh, is what it comes down to and so that's probably our most popular innovation that we have uh have launched today and then um other than that we've done like a ton of economic research into what it takes what it would take to develop a stable coin that um that we've published uh uh that we published as well Oh, and we've also done some research into how to best operate um, uh, like a DAO from a governance point of view. And so we have some uh, some design documents that have been published in that space or in that uh, on that topic as well. So I'm curious about this stability thing. I'm yeah. just curious to how's it, how how you um, program that in there in there. There's like a Janet Yellen functionality in the contracts like how are you gonna make sure that the coin's always stable so the basic idea is um janet yellen <laughs> yeah. janet, janet underscore yellen functionality that takes yeah, you gotta call janet yellen call, that's, call, the, call. that's what we call <laughs> uh so the basic idea is um and, and we can get more into it like as you ask questions and stuff but the basic idea is um 
part of what makes uh, coins like Bitcoin um, not stable is the fact that the supply is relatively fixed. It can't respond to increases or de- increases or in demand or um, decreases in demand. And so what makes, at its core, what makes the DAI um, compelling is that as more market demand appears, um, then the supply of DAI increases. And as market demand um, diminishes, then the supply of DAI diminishes as well. And it does it through a system of uh, incentives because um, the way that the system works is that anybody can create DAI by putting... um, uh, essentially like uh, some other asset that has value into the system and then uh, creating DAI um, as a response or like as an effect. And so um, if there's like a ton of demand and you want to meet that demand, then you as a regular crypto citizen can come and create DAI and meet that demand, which stabilizes uh, the price of DAI. Basically, there's incentives that make it so that if the price is too low, then you... Um, at, or sorry, if the price is too high, then you are incentivized to create some. And if the price is too low, then you're incentivized to buy it up and uh, put it back into the system and destroy it. The way I understand, I guess, stable coins is that they, they're pegged to a certain asset. So they're stable with respect to something, right? And what happens if whatever they're, they're pegged to, not necessarily pegged to, it may be the wrong terminology, but whatever they're stable with respect to loses its value? That's a very good question. Um, and so what we have chosen to, uh, I, I like the way that you put it. The, the asset that we are stable with respect to is called uh, the special drawing rights. It's a basket of currencies that is maintained by the IMF. It contains uh, dollars, uh, pounds, euros, yuan, and yen. So basically the five largest uh, global currencies. And it is widely regarded in the world of finance as the most stable uh, frame of reference because it's a basket of currencies. So the basic idea is that if one of those currencies is going down, then you can bet that one other one is going up and thus the basket remains stable. So in order for it to decrease in value, basically all five of those currencies would have to go down in value at the same time. Which is not impossible, but we would probably have bigger problems than uh, than running this uh, this contract system if that happened. Yeah, I'd imagine if the world economy fell to shit, you'd have some. You wouldn't be worried about the price of dye. Basically, yeah, I'd be more worried about like uh, the price of cans of tuna or something like that. Price of bullets. Right. All right. So, like, what what is the ultimate goal in all of this? Because like you you you've, you're covering a lot of fronts here. What's what's the the end-all, be-all, I guess, future vision of what you see Maker becoming. Kenny, can I that one? Sure. Um, well, I think there's probably a lot of potential use cases, and, and I don't know that anybody really knows which, which use case will kind of win the day. But um, if you think about this, these, this collateral that you have to lock up in order to create DAI, um, and then when you have to, when you want to get your collateral back, you have to pay die in. That's kind of like a, a loan, right? So in some sense, we're providing the, this kind of loan-like uh, capability, and that's that's a new use case. Uh, you could use that for lots of different reasons or lots of different purposes. There's lots of good reasons to have loans and have uh, lock up collateral and get some useful capital to do what you want. 
And then the sense of stable coins in general, uh, having a stable form of value over the long term allows you to make long term commitments. So an example that's commonly used, you guys had Augur on. And one thing you talked about in that interview is, well, if, you, if you're going to enter into a prediction market, because prediction markets are cool and you can get some really good useful information out of them, um, you're actually right now, if you do that, you're making two kind of bets, right? One is what's going to happen with what I said, the prediction, and what's going to happen with Ether or Bitcoin or whatever uh, you're using as a form of value to back up your prediction market. Um, and if that's a long-term horizon, like what's what's gonna be what's gonna happen in a year or two years, that's a really hard thing to do. So you need something stable over a long term in order to make long-term commitments or to make long-term contracts. So that's really useful to have. So you don't it eliminates half of the problem with a like a prediction market or something like that. Another thing you might use it for is just for like buying goods and services, like a currency. So just you know a savings account, so to speak. Uh, another thing you could use it for people, if it really scales to a massive level, um, you could, because it's kind of a derivative of that special drawing, right? It could potentially be used as a reserve currency for international trade. There's there's kind of a, a very wide spectrum of things that you could do with it. Um, neither one or the other thing, but it's potentially better than another. And we don't really know which is going to be most useful to people, but um, hopefully we'll get the chance to find out. Right, we do think. So that, um, you do think that having some form of stable currency is, I guess you could say, a blocking problem to a lot of other interesting economic activity on the blockchain. So it's definitely something that if we get it solved right, uh, will open up a lot of other possibilities. Yeah, I, got, I got two things there in terms of like getting it solved right. One is, why is, is this form of stable coin better than the previously failed versions of attempted stable coins in the community, like Nubits, say. And uh, you, since you're built on top of Ethereum and you'd like these things like maybe potentially becoming a world reserve currency, uh, you're relegated to the scalability of Ethereum. What happens if it can't provide that scalability? So... We exist on Ethereum today because it's definitely the best option, but um, the whole idea for uh, stablecoins started, well, what I should say is the development team that started Maker first uh, sort of um, honed their skills working on a stablecoin for BitShares. So it's not like um, we would go down with the ship if it turned out Ethereum wasn't going to work out or something like that. You know what I mean? Like... The idea is much bigger than the chain, but as far as it goes, as far as Ethereum works today, it's it it does just fine. So, um, if the scalability dream cannot be realized, then we will have to. My guess would be move to whatever is the most promising uh, solution. As far as uh, your other question, which is why is it better than new bits, uh, we could get pretty lost in the weeds on on the uh, on the answer there but I think the main difference is number one die does not try to maintain a peg in the same way that uh, new bits does if new bits uh, ever deviated from one dollar it doesn't matter if it was today or a year from now it would be something that needs to be corrected whereas die like I said is stable over short and medium term time increments but over the long term it, it's allowed to float very slowly. 
Um, and so that's one thing that makes it a little bit easier to administer. And then another one is that, um, so the value that backed Newbits was another asset called New Shares. And there's only, that was the only thing that was really able to um, back Newbits. And so the difference I would say is that with DAI, um, you can have many different types of uh, assets that back the currency. And so if you're smart, um, like if the administrators, uh, if the administrators of Maker are smart, uh, then they'll have many different um, types of assets that are hopefully uncorrelated, like gold and ether and Bitcoin and, you know, even traditional assets like stocks and bonds and regular uh, national currencies and stuff like that. And so if we had a very diverse range of assets, then it would add stability to the platform. So I think that's another... Um, aspect of the system that makes it more compelling than uh, earlier stablecoin projects. So how would you compare what you're currently doing with Maker as compared to, aren't, aren't they working on a similar on a similar sort of like vision with like Digix, but kind of doing the same thing, but backed by gold? Am I mistaken there? Are you familiar with that project? I am very familiar with it. Um, can you I, can you give me some insights as far as like how you compare to like Digix? Because I'm sure you've been held asked that question before. Yeah, so um, I think the main difference is that uh, as much as people may or may not like it, uh, gold is not stable against national currencies. So there's definitely like a lot of, um, I guess, like uh, folk tales about the purchasing power of gold throughout history. And that's great and everything, but it's not actually like, like nobody does business with gold today. Um, it's not really like, designed to be a currency in that way it's awesome and it's a great asset and i love digix like i think what they're doing is really cool but it's not it's just not designed with the same um with the same end goal in mind i would say got it got it um so i guess in relation to you said like prediction markets i'm working with like the folks at auger have you have you spoken to the the gentleman at gnosis as well yeah um this uh, so we had um we had him out actually out in Seattle and did a little presentation for Gnosis, Martin. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, we've, we've spoken to Martin uh, and I think Martin and the Augur team are both, uh, they're waiting to see which uh, stable coins kind of do the best. Mm -hmm. And if, if DAI is that option, then they'll integrate it because it'll be a regular ERC-20 token. It'll be mm -hmm. fairly easy to integrate. But if there are other options that people are more comfortable with, like US dollar pegged tokens then that's probably an option there probably be several options um, for them to choose hmm. so i guess as far as challenges or obstacles go then because you seem pretty confident about you know your timeline and like where you want things to go and what it is you want to build what do you think are some of the like most glaring like inherent obstacles that are going to come in your way so Definitely, um, I guess, obstacles I can't say for certain, but I would say that there's like a lot of risks associated with the project. Yeah, let's go with risk. Let's use risks here. Like, what's, what's, what's a major risk for you guys that could, that could potentially like shut down the whole operation? Because that's what people really want to know is like <laughs> if you build a stable coin, you build a market for it. One day yeah. could somebody like step in and say, hey, what you're doing is great, but I'm going to need you to just chill out and quit that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, definitely, I mean, if the regulators come and just try decide to ruin our lives, I don't know if there's much we can do because I'm publicly identified and everything like that. But uh, <laughs> we make a very strong effort to not um, 
do anything that we feel is uh, improper or illegal. So I think we're operating an above the board uh, uh, project here. But I would say that the biggest risk outside of uh, like arbitrary legal har harassment is definitely governance of the platform. So, so far mm -hmm. in this conversation, I've only mentioned one token, which is DAI, which mm -hmm. is stable. But um, on the back end, in the, in the mechanics of the system, there's actually a second token called MKR. MKR is the governance token of the platform, meaning that um, if you have one MKR, then you get one vote. If you have 10 MKR, you get 10 votes in how the system is governed which means that if a majority of MKR is held by uh, idiots, basically, um, then the system, like, that's a huge risk to the system. You see what I'm saying? Like, the decisions that they make are um, essentially the parameters of the, uh, the stablecoin. So things like what, it, like, just to give you an example, suppose you made, like, a scam coin, right? And it was called scam coin. And the MKR holders, <laughs> oh, so tricky, so tricky. <laughs> and the MKR holders decided that Scamcoin was like a totally acceptable thing to back uh, die with. That would be a big problem because then later, when it's revealed that it's a scam, all of that die would be suddenly backed by something that is valueless, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a risk to the system. And luckily, the way that the system is designed, the people who um, bear the cost of that risk. Uh, are the actual MKR holders. So if it is discovered that um, MKR is, or sorry, if it's discovered that uh, Scamcoin is valueless suddenly overnight, then new MKR is created to back that, uh, to back that outstanding die. So the MKR holders um, inflate the supply of MKR whenever they make bad decisions that cause catastrophe in the system, hopefully shielding the die holders from having to deal with those problems. Um, on the flip side, if the MKR holders do a good job, then everybody, every time you put collateral in the system to create DAI, um, a fee, a small fee is collected and transferred to the uh, MKR market cap via like an auction. Um, so it's sort of like a, it's sort of like, imagine if um, the people who administer national currencies right now stood to profit the most and stood, the, stood to lose the most from the success of that currency. That's sort of how the system works. So I would say the biggest risk is um, making sure that MKR gets into the right hands. And then from there, all of the decisions that they have to make, they all have their own associated risks. The second biggest one is um, we haven't talked about like price feeds yet in this conversation. Um, like how do you find out, how do you reliably find out the value of an asset? Um, in order to make sure that um, it's like, in order to, like how would uh, the system find out that Scamcoin has suddenly gone to zero? It would have to get that information from a price feed provider. Um, and choosing the right price feed providers is another risk uh, inherent to the system that the MKR holders have to do a good job managing. Hmm. I have a, like, so I, I did a lot of work looking at the DAO. Uh, back when it was it was all the rage and and trying to look at the wealth distribution or even the, the voting distribution because it's the same thing pretty much of the people who owned tokens as best I could uh, how do you, you you mentioned that the governance model of maker is 
kind of a very important aspect of the, I guess, the proliferation of, of the Maker project. And it seems as though the one token, one vote model is very similar as what the DAO was. And they had a very serious issue with voting process in terms of like vote, you're only incentivized to vote yes on certain on certain things. Is there a similar type of problem with how Maker does things? I'm assuming you've learned a lot of lessons from from the DAO <laughs> by you know yeah. a lot of lessons. We all did, and I imagine you learned the most because you're doing something very similar. What have you done to kind of what have you learned from those projects and like in terms of like what's made you not have these types of issues that they had before they were hacked? So I think that the biggest thing that we learned from the DAO, which actually we predicted before the DAO happened, but the biggest uh, lesson that was sort of revealed by the DAO is that you cannot rely on the token holding community to reliably make proactive decisions. Um, you can rely on a subset of the token holding community to make proactive decisions, and you can use that to make proactive decisions, but the entire community as a whole, um, for the most part, is only going to react when something is really messed up and it needs to be changed right away. So a lot of what our governance involves, uh, a lot of how our governance is going to work is going to be delegating somebody to make decisions like executive uh, type decisions, those decisions would then be time delayed by let's say a week or a month or a year, depending on how big of a change they want to make. And then the MKR holders will have an opportunity to say, no, you can't do that. Or no, you can't do that and you're fired. So um, the basic idea is that reactive governance is I think a lot more reliable in terms of getting a response out of people than proactive governance. And there will be like, Definitely, like we're going to experiment with, for instance, um, prediction markets, right? Like we'll experiment with certain forms of automated um, governance for proactive decision making, prediction markets standing um, very obviously at the front of that. But uh, the basic idea is um, you just have to, you have to acknowledge people's like laziness and the amount of cognitive uh, investment that they're going to make into a project. And then you have to account for that in governance. I'm really, really happy to hear that you've taken an, an apathy into your equation of, of, of governance because it's a real, it's a real issue. People generally don't care unless they're forced to care. Definitely. Or they can make money. Right. <laughs> Which is why prediction markets are like a, could be a reliable way of doing proactive governance. Yeah. We kind of call it democracy of last resort. <laughs> I like well that. Sounds good. I like that. That's smart. Um, so okay. So we, we've talked about um, you know prediction markets. We've talked about sort of stable coins, their their effective like uses, bad stuff, risks. Um, what are what are how about this? How, what are some cool projects that are either happening in the Ethereum space or quote unquote blockchain technology space as a whole? So that includes like you know Zcash and things of that nature. What are some other outside projects that you think would be really cool to either work to tie into what you're doing at maker or just you want to give another project like a pat on the back and like maybe sort of just like like talk around like how maybe another project could be useful kenny what do you think <laughs> well i yeah i'm involved in quite a lot of uh, projects all around um so i'll give my shout out to uh our chain for uh, greg mm -hmm. and his um attempt to create a, a scalable blockchain so like we were talking about earlier, 
uh, right now, I think Ethereum is absolutely the best game in town for kind of smart contracting, um, provo- provenly at least have some track record of reliability. But I mm-hmm. think uh, scaling is the really hard part of, of blockchains. Um, so I think that project, Archain, is doing some pretty cool things. I also think interchain communication is uh, immensely important. So this is projects like Polkadot, and there's going to be probably a few others that are going to do some interesting things. Um, I think Melonport is also a pretty cool project to keep in mind, which is sort of like automated and uh, kind of investing type things. And I mean, there's a whole list of, you know, in Ethereum, these app coins or other projects that are kind of cool and we'll obviously be following those. But those are a few things that kind of come off the top of my head. Oh, and Steemit. Steemit, I love uh, the blogging platform where you can kind of, you know, produce content and get paid for it. So that's another one. I think uh, another one that people sort of lose track of because they're very low-key is um, Digix DAO. Not just Digix, but uh, DGD. I think that they could become sort of the, how do you say, like, cultural inheritors of what the DAO was trying to do. Because, I mean, if you think about it, like, that entire group was formed to fund Digix, but there's nothing in uh, the way that they were formed that says they have to be restricted to funding Digix. You know, they, they have a lot of ether. And I think if they get the governance technology right, they could do a lot of really cool things with it. Do you see an, do you, do you see, um, an advantage of using something like um, you guys' like stable co- coins and like tokens for uh, stuff like First Blood? Where they have like you know like peer to peer betting and instead of and I know they have like their own like unique like first blood token but have you ever thought about like working or like trying to collaborate with other uh, crypto tokens that might be like more volatile it might be useful to have like a separate token to utilize with their project? Yeah, actually, I think that this is somewhat of an unpopular opinion today, but most of the uh, like app coins would probably be better served as a stable coin. The mm. the one aspect the one aspect that um, a stablecoin does not do a good job at is obviously allowing these protocols and platforms to be governed. So I think that most good projects will have some sort of governance token um, or like way to govern the platform. But um, as far as like transacting and doing things like bets, obviously I would I would rather use a stablecoin every time. Excellent. So okay, so th- so that sounds good. So how about? How about your overall vision for, I guess, Ethereum then, since, you know, you made a comment on, you know, those those tokens probably working better if they had a stablecoin variant. Well, how about just like the Ethereum and the Ethereum token as a whole? Um, like, where, where do you see uh, the Ethereum ecosystem going, like, say, like six months from now, like, you know, once Metropolis hits and we're moving towards getting um, proof of stake, you know, uh, implemented? What are what are some things that you all as developers or, you know, that are working on these projects, what are all you doing to prepare for these things? Um, so uh, the company that I work for, Dapub, is um, really focused on infrastructure and developer tools. Um, it's sort of like our bread and butter. So to me, that's what I want to see uh, going forward, in, in the, especially in like the short and medium term. Like there's so little support for um, developers right now in terms of like doing stuff that they want to do that I, I think that a big um, catalyst for adoption will be just making the developer experience a lot better for these other um, tokens or, and, and uh, projects. 
So that's one thing that I'm really hoping to see come along both uh, developer tools and infrastructure. You know, I mean, think about it, right? Like, let's take the idea of IPFS, right? Like, um, we've got Infura, which is a really good example of what I'm talking about. Do you guys know what Infura is? Uh, I've heard of it. I'm just not com uh, wholly familiar, but for the sake of the audience, feel free to give a sure, quick, quick yeah. explainer. So Infura is a, it's a consensus project, and what they do is they will spin up a, uh, an IPFS node on your behalf for your app or your mm -hmm. dApp. Um, and, uh, and then you can use it to, um, to, you know, store things on the IPFS network. Um, and that way you can have one person just focusing on making sure that that's scalable and, uh, and properly managed. And then everybody else can benefit from it. Sort of like with the explode, like sort of what we, like what we saw with the explosion of web technology after, uh, Amazon web services became, uh, really popular, like. They drove a lot of what made Web 2.0 great, especially like um, the explosion of startups that we've seen in the last 10 years or so. A lot of that has been built on the back of uh, AWS. And so I really, really want to see similar things. And at DAP Hub, we're working every day on building similar things for um, the Ethereum ecosystem. Really boring stuff, you know, like... Uh, cool <laughs> really boring stuff. You hate it. <laughs> um, developer stuff. Just boring developer stuff. I want to see lots of boring developer stuff in the next <laughs> six months or so. And then from there, the first thing that I want to see built on top of that is um, reliable, reusable governance technology, which is what makes me so excited about working with Maker because what we have in Maker is a legitimate use case, like a legitimate need for governance technology. And so if we as a development team do our jobs right, I hope that we can export a lot of that to other projects and we can sort of do away with this cowboy culture that we have right now where, you know, you run an ICO, it's a smashing success overnight, and now all of a sudden nobody has any insight into what's happening with the software development process. You know what I mean? That's just like, in my eyes, completely inappropriate. So like what I want to see is, governance of these um, these open source projects that people are so excited about. You know, I, I want to see something that can be dropped into mm. First Blood or dropped into DigiStyle or just like like a new solution that everybody can use. I like how you use completely inappropriate as to where <laughs> I would say complete bullshit. But <laughs> words are words. Words are yeah, words. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, if you caught me on a different day, I might, I might have <laughs> trouble. So as the... Uh, Chief Bitcoin officer, I'm going to ask you a 21 million part question here. <laughs> so I hope you If you're asking if we will accept Bitcoin as a collateral, we definitely will. <laughs> That's my well, next question. Earlier, you said that you, you built your stable coin uh, you, to kind of give it that, that mobility uh, because Bitcoin has the fixed supply of 21 million units, but each one of those is divisible. And I believe that's 21 million units visible down to the millionth decimal. So the supply is fixed, but the decimal isn't. Some, like myself, being CBO, would argue that that could be plenty of room for economic growth. So how would you counteract that argument? And that's a one-part question. Um, I would say that that could be the case uh, maybe over the long term. Like, uh, like... I guess, like you said, you can always move down like orders of magnitude in terms of how you deal with it. But I think that over the short, like the whole thing that Maker does that is interesting is it reacts to like short-term 
um, changes in uh, supply and demand. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. over the sh- over the short term, people aren't going to be changing sort of the orders of precision that they use for Bitcoin on the daily because that's also just not stable. You know what I mean? Like um, the basic idea is that it's not like we have unlimited supply. It's that we have a supply that is perfectly tailored to emergent demand. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> That's no, it does not. Well, yes and no. I get, I get what you're saying. It's short term to medium term, and you yeah. did say that at the top of the interview. Um, so then, my backup question is, and this could be something along the lines of collateral, but why not, uh, why not throw Bitcoin in your basket of fiat, electrify yeah. it a little bit? Oh, you why mean uh, the in terms of the currency basket? Yeah, I mean, why not pay re- pay Quite respect? Not famous for being stable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, <laughs> throw some spice in that soup. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, just have some fun, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you get enough MKR, then you can probably force that proposal through yourself. MKR, what's oh, that mean? Oh. MKR is the governance token of the platform. Well, I know, I know that, but what does the, the initials mean? Oh, it's just uh, it's just short for maker. I don't know. It's kind of a weird name, but uh, it it is nothing. It doesn't stand for anything other than MKI. Even behind uh-huh. the scenes, when y'all joke in the office. Right up. Yeah. Just okay. MKI. Cool. I'll check. <laughs> I have a question uh, in regards to um, a maker and governance and board seats. I heard I heard like mumblings in regards to like Olaf from like Polychain Capital and them approaching Maker in relation to like what you guys are building. Can you give me some insight behind that and what what the hell that's talking about? Sure. Uh, why don't I go ahead and answer? That? Um, so, okay. yeah. So this this happened um, about a week or two ago, um, and what what this was. Um, so Olaf and in Polychain Capital, they they uh, they approached the community, a few core members uh, who they had existing relationships with and wanted to add MKR specifically to their portfolio. Um, and so they they put out a, a deal, which you can find on our forum, forum.makerdao.com. It was basically publicly negotiated, essentially, uh, about what the, quote, terms were, what Polychain would provide in terms of additional relationships and exposure and even bringing institutional partners to the project and in exchange they would get um mkr at a particular price Uh, and that price was pretty pretty well below a a kind of the market price and the reason for that was is that they bring a lot more in terms of what they're bringing to the table than really what that deal was all about It, it really wasn't about the money or the mkr being transferred it was sort of like a first step in a much longer uh relationship I think, uh, but it was done in public. Like it wasn't um, a private thing. They don't actually have like quote board seats. There's not really yeah. such thing as board seats uh, right now. We have this uh, the the MKR that hasn't been uh, sold uh, is 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 handled by a multi sig, but that's really more to just as a security measure as a, as opposed to anything else. So right now the project is is somewhat it, it's pretty much centralized in the meaning that the core members, the people who have been there the longest, um, pretty much control the, how things are happening now. And that's a, that's a bootstrapping mechanism for this uh, autonomous organization, which is code. That's, that's mm-hmm. the thing that has this governance. Um, that's the thing that produces DAI. All of that stuff, that's, that comes later. 
but right now we're we're trying to get this thing off the ground, right? And that's that's people coming together, writing code, you know, collaborating with each other. And um, that Polychain saw an opportunity, and so they came to the community and said, "Hey, but does this sound like a good idea?" And every week we have a, a governance call on Sunday mornings, and they came to the call, and presented their idea. Um, it was generally it was agreed to, and everybody thought it was a good idea, and we move forward. And they execute that trade, which is like basically we sent them um, MKR and they sent that multi-sig Ether and that sealed the deal. You know, it's sort of a true uh, blockchain contract, so to speak. Uh, I mean, not in the sense of that the uh, obligations or the, the things they're going to do are programmatic in that sense, but that that was what that situation was. And so going in, into the future... Polychain will, it's up to them to uh, bring value back to the community, value back to the organization or the, the, this whole structure because they, they have an investment in it. They have a stake in the whole project. Bleeding into that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring us back into a question I have and, and to what you've learned from the DAO. Um, one of the, I'd say, one could argue that a big problem with why the DAO was hacked and why it was hacked so largely, or big league, if you will, uh, <laughs> was because there was no human mechanism to stop the hack. It was completely autonomous. And they, you know, completely shut out any type of intervention should something go wrong when they had bugs in the code. How, like, if, if, you, if you're moving towards this completely autonomous model in your DAO, are you... How do you feel about keeping, I don't want to say back doors, but ways for humans to interact should something go awry that we're not quite aware of yet? So I think uh, a big back door is going to be that sort of um, reactive voting mechanism that I was talking about. Like The basic idea is if enough MKR holders agree that there's an emergency, then um, they should be able to do anything that they want in the system, uh, anything that the system can allow them to do. You know what I mean? Um, and so, in that sense, like they should always be able to, in theory, act um, when the time is called, when the when when uh, when the time calls upon them. But um, that's a long way off. And in the meantime, uh, we are moving very slowly and very carefully towards like a fully autonomous, decentralized uh organization right like the the developer multi-sig that we have right now that acts like as an administer of the system we probably wouldn't get rid of that until the entire system has been like mathematically proven you know what i mean and that's actually something that is also on our roadmap we have uh some really smart people who uh who are interested in doing that for the project so like it's something that like like Maker has been defined by its uh, cautiousness and its um, hesitancy to like rush into anything. So we wouldn't we wouldn't uh, like lock ourselves out of the system until we were like absolutely sure that um, it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I ask because the, despite the fact that this idea is revolutionary and can take us a lot of ways. DAO has become somewhat of a bad word in the space. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, these are the types of questions that I, I feel people need to hear answers to. Otherwise, they're, they're going to continue to feel like it's a bad word 
when it can Definitely. take us very far. Agreed. Totally. And I would say that um, a lot of the like critical systems that we depend on today run on computer code. And that code has been like formally proven, verified to work correctly. And um, we want to be something that it as, is as battle-hardened as the stuff that we depend on every day. Cool. So how about one last question from me before we close up shop? And it's a very important question. I don't know if you guys are ready. Are you ready? Ready about Bitcoin? Oh, no, it has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Um, let's talk about music for a second. <laughs> I know, right? You weren't, you weren't expecting that. So hear I'm me right. out. So hear me out. I'm like, Maker, you guys are making it big. You're doing stable coins. You're doing all this. Great. Love it. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about music. Let's talk about like, let's talk about who you guys are as people real quick and then get some insights and we can figure out what sort of music to put on for the show. So what are you guys' favorite, um, musicians genres of music and preferably what are your favorite rap slash hip-hop artists please say trap music please say trap music <laughs> <laughs> my favorite hip-hop artists are definitely everybody in top dog entertainment they just they just rock my world every time every single person um and then i also like um who else do I like? I'm looking at my spot. I'm looking at my Spotify right now. I like Earth Gang. I like Slum Village. I'm originally from Detroit, so I really like Eminem. Um, Joey from Augur also really likes Eminem. I'm starting to see a pattern here with Ethereum people and Eminem. White we really should reach out to Eminem. White people. He um, just he just rep him so hard. And then, <laughs> other than that, um, I really like uh, like tropical goofy house music. Tropical goofy house music. Oh, he's from yeah, Detroit. Like if it's you've like ever the heard of, uh, of electronic. What'd you say? Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you've I've ever never heard of, heard of um, what if you've ever heard of Claude Von Stroke, he's like one of my favorite house DJs. Googling. Yeah, I also googled tropical goofy house music, and all like all that comes up are a bunch of uh, pictures of women with big booties, and I don't. Oh, oh really? <laughs> oh really? Hold on, let me see. Um, no. Uh, no, and, and this is interesting. Okay, so this is kind of like that one time I discovered um, Egyptian reggae music, and I didn't know that was a thing. Um, <laughs> this is great. Uh, and wh what about uh, what about yourself, Kenny? Well, I got to call out Macklemore for being a hometown uh, Seattle. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though hip hop is not necessarily my favorite genre, I do enjoy the occasional Macklemore. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a pop guy myself, but oh, you like uh, Katy Perry? Um, let's not say that. <laughs> you know you don't want to admit you like katie perry <laughs> i don't want to admit that i like on the katie record yeah. <laughs> okay, <that's fine. laughs> i was hoping somebody would say like kenny g i love yeah, kenny g. g i'm not even gonna lie kenny g is another seattle hero he actually invented the frappuccino out here in seattle did you know that i, I did wow, not, not that, that. That he invented in an Al Gore invented the internet kind of way. Nah, dude, he was one of the earliest investors in Starbucks, and he was just chilling at Starbucks HQ one time. Came up with the idea from the Frappuccino, and the rest was history. Who's just chilling uh, at Starbucks HQ? Well, he was like, <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> like you're just sitting across the room, you're like sipping on a slow drip, and you're like, guys, I got it. <laughs> Frappuccinos. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome! Thanks, thanks, thanks for the insight. So good. I think that'll that'll help me choose some some good music here. I think I think I think I know what to put. 
Uh, I got a friend of mine, Aaron London. I think I, I think he's got the song that'll fit it right in here for this. Um, all right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you very much. Like, I appreciate you guys like filling our minds. If there is not anything else that you guys would like want to leave us with, any thoughts, um, any know, words of wisdom, anything, any shout outs, feel free to. Well, I just want to say thank you very much, guys. Um, and if anybody's listening wants to join us, uh, you can find us at chat.makerdow.com. Excellent. Also, look out for Dai's uh, first launch coming in Q2 of this year. Oh, Q2. Ooh. All right. Well, once once that comes out and uh, that gets the ball rolling, we'll be have, have you guys back and we can sort of see where uh, you guys have moved since then. Yeah, hopefully to the moon. Hopefully yeah. to the moon. Excellent. Cool. Okay, well, if you guys go to the moon, I'm going to go with you guys. All right, well... Um, well, maybe, um, maybe to, uh, no, actually scratch that. Never mind. Um, but what I'll go ahead and do is I'll make sure I include all the things that we mentioned today, uh, in the show notes, uh, below, um, maker, um, gnosis, auger, all, all that sort of good stuff, everything that we discussed today. Um, and yeah, so we'll have you guys back again soon. And if no one has anything else, we just go ahead and call it a wrap. Okay. Thanks guys. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Bye. And this episode of Block Channel was brought to you by Purse. Purse is the easiest way to spend and store Bitcoin. With Purse, you can save 5 to 33% off all the items you love on Amazon. There's even an iOS app. So check out the links in the show notes and start saving money on the purchases you already make every day by using Bitcoin on Purse. Bye.